you know, learning how to learn. I think it's a superpower. If there's one skill to master in the 21st century, you know, with all this change that's going on, rapid change, it's the only constant is just how do you learn it and absorb it and think differently and apply it. And so I started studying neuroscience, adult learning theory, multiple intelligences, anything I get my hands on, mnemonics, speed reading, everything. And then about six days into it, a light switch went on and I started to understand things for the very first time. Hello everyone, I am so grateful to introduce you to my guest today. He is none other than the world memory expert, optimal brain performance coach, and someone that I love to call a very dear friend. His name is Jim Quick. He has worked with leading organizations and leading individuals all over the world. But more than all of that, from when I connected with Jim, we hit it off right away. He has this beautiful energy and presence about him. And more than all of that, he's an extremely humble soul. So I'm really touched and excited to introduce you to someone who I hold in the highest regard for his deep expertise in the brain, in memory, in self-improvement, but also as a very dear friend. So Jim, I'm so grateful and honored to be speaking with you. Jay, this is a real privilege. Thank you for having me. No, absolutely. The privilege and honor is all mine. And you're always traveling all over the world, sharing advice, tips. And this is one thing I was saying to people when I launched the podcast. The reason I did it was to sit with people like you. Mm. I wanted to sit with people who are deep experts and really understand an area and not just understand it, but live it, breathe it, teach it, give it. And you really embody an expert's mindset for me. So I'm excited to sit with an expert today and dig deeper with you. Thank you. Thank you. I believe that the life that we live are the lessons that we teach other people and going through. I mean, life is like the best seminar in the world. And so there are a lot of lessons here. So I'm excited about this. And thank you, everyone who's joining us. Yeah, me too. And for the people that don't know you or may not know your story, I want to dive in a little bit into your story. I remember we spoke about it. Last time we were together, mm-hmm. we were in Sardinia sure. during the Mind Valley event. And I remember having dinner one night. I think everyone was crazy partying, <laughs> drinking and dancing. And me and Jim were in this corner of a table just having this really meaningful exchange. But you started off talking about how even though today you're teaching learning to, to absolutely the most incredible minds on the planet and everyone in the world, yeah. but your journey actually started off differently, right? You actually struggled at school. I did. Uh, when people see me on stages that we've shared together or on video, they'll see me do these mental feats, right? Memorize, I'll have 100 people stand up and memorize their names or you know, 100 names or 100 numbers or 100 words, forwards and backwards. But I always tell people, I don't do this to impress you. I do this more to express to you what's possible because the truth is every single person who's listening today could do that and so much, so much more. I mean, we discovered more about you know the human brain, you know this, more in the past 10 years than the previous thousand years combined. And we're grossly, we found is we're grossly underestimating our own capabilities and our own superpowers as, as you were. And I, I really do, I, I love your work because I feel like in this age of information, we're drowning in data, we're drowning in information, but we're starving for real wisdom. And so that's why I really appreciate it. But yeah, as you know, I grew up with learning difficulties. Some people are surprised to, to hear at the age of five, I had a bad accident, head trauma, brain injury, and I had these learning challenges, if you were. You know, I had bad focus. I had no memory to speak of. I didn't, teachers would have to repeat themselves four, five, six times. And then I, would, I wouldn't get it. I would pretend to understand. And I, I don't know if anyone could relate to that. Um, but I had this like imposter syndrome when I was a child. And um and I, it took me actually a few years just to learn how to read. I remember, I, I don't talk about this, but in school, in elementary school, all my friends, they, they got invited to be part of this MASP program because I always played with all the, the Dungeons and Dragons and <laughs> comic book geeks. And the only difference with them and me is I didn't have the grades. They're really, really smart, right? And, um, but they, um, th- there was this group called MASP, and MASP stands for More Able Student Program. And uh, it was me and my friend Joey, we weren't invited in this program. So we created our own little group, our own clique, and we called it LASP. And we were the less able student <laughs> program. And, um, and so I remember at the age of nine, a teacher pointing to me, talking to another adult, saying, that's the boy with the broken brain. And that was my label. And, and anyone who has a child or anyone who's, who was a child at one point in their life, parents have to be very careful 
with the words they use because your external words become a child's internal words. And that became my internal talk. Every time I wasn't picked for the soccer team, every time I did badly on a quiz and a test, which was all the time, I always said, oh, it's because I have the broken brain. And that became my, my internal conversation. And um, I always tell people, if you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. If you argue for those limits, they're yours. And I, and I had that all through school. I had such a bad fear of, I was painfully shy, not just introverted, but shy. Because when you, um, when you feel like you're broken, you don't have, feel like you have an, anything to add in terms of values. Uh, I, was, I didn't have a lot of friends. I, I would just watch people and study them and just wonder why was this person you know, so successful at school or have, you know, so popular or picked for all these teams. And um, I was painfully shy. I would actually, I remember, I don't talk about this a lot, but I, I, my, um, they pulled my parents in my English class in high school and I was failing. And it, it was like, the teacher said, okay, I'll give you one chance. You this extra credit report. And, um, you know, and it was on Einstein and Da Vinci and, you know, and I didn't know anything about them, but this is what's going to allow you to pass. And I was so excited because I put all my energy in there for months and I did this book report and that, and I've never put all of my talent and time and focus into one project before. And, uh, the day I had to turn it in, I had it professionally bound. I mean, it was like so proud of it because I've never been good at anything. And, um, and at the end of class, the teacher is like, I have a surprise for everybody. Jim, come up in front of the class and tell everyone about Einstein and Da Vinci. And I, uh, I was so scared. I didn't realize I had to give a talk, like a book report on this. So um, I, I said, I lied. I said, I didn't do it. And after three months of pouring my heart and everything into it, my potential, if you will, um, I just, uh, I lied. I said, I didn't do it because I was so fearful of keep getting in front of a group of people. I know fear of public speaking is a big deal for a lot of people. And after you could t look at the teacher's face, she was so disappointed. Um, and I was disappointed in myself also. And, but after the class left, I remember taking it out of my backpack and throwing it into the trash. And I felt like when I did that, I was also throwing away something else, like maybe my, my dreams, if you will. But at the age of 18, I, um, I thought I could turn it all around. I, I was uh, lucky enough to get into a college, university. I wanted to make a fresh start, show my family, show the world, show myself I could do it. And I did worse. And, um, and at that time, I just, I just doubled down and, and I was just ready to quit. And the friend's like, hey, why don't you get some perspective before you tell your family you're quitting school? Come visit my, my family this weekend. I'm going home. And I did. And the family was pretty well off and, and happy and successful, if you will. Um, and the father walks me around his property and says, Jim, you know, how's school? And I just, that's the worst question you could ask me. And I just start bawling. And I just, I was like, I tell my whole story about the broken brain. He's like, Jim, why are you in school? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share in the world? And, uh, and I honestly, I didn't have any clue. Because it's funny, when you don't ask yourself that question, you don't have answers. You know, those were conversations that I had growing up. And I, um, and I, and I go to answer him and he takes out, he says, stop. He takes out a piece of paper out of his back pocket and makes me write it down. And you know how important it is to write and reflect. I've never did that before. But when I was done, I had this bucket list of all the things that I want to accomplish. And when I was, I started folding the sheets and he grabbed it out of my hand and he starts reading it. And I'm freaking out because I wasn't expecting him to look at my deepest dreams. And when he's done, he's like, Jim, you're this close to everything on that list. And he spreads his fingers about a foot apart. And I was like, no way, give me 10 lifetimes. I'm not going to crack that list. And he takes his fingers and he puts them to the side of my head. Meaning what's in between is really the answer, the key, the bridge, if you will, which was my brain. And he walks me into a room of his home and to a room I've never seen. You would love it. It's wall to wall, ceiling to floor, covered in books. And I'm phobic of books, right? I mean, I'm just not a good reader. Never finished a book in my life. At that time. Yeah. And this is like, um, I mean, now I, I read I read a book a day. Yes. And I'm so, it, they're my best friends. But, um, but they're like, you know, a lot of people are afraid of snakes. It's like being in a room full of snakes. But what makes it worse, he starts grabbing snakes and handing them to me. And I started looking at these titles and they're classics. There's these incredible biographies of men and women in history and some very early personal growth books like Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking, Dale Carnegie, I mean, Napoleon Hill, all the classics, right? And he's like, Jim, I want you to read one book a week. And I was like, no way. I don't, I'm fighting for my limitations. I can't do that. I have so much schoolwork. And he's looking at me like, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education. And I didn't realize this was a Mark Twain quote at the time. It was like over 25 years ago. And I was like, that's really insightful, but I still, I can't commit to this. If I'm going to commit to it, I'm going to do it. And very smart man, he reaches into his pocket and he still has my bucket list. And he starts reading every single one of my dreams out loud. 
And I don't know what it was, Jay, just hearing, imagine you're this insecure 18 year old kid and you start hearing your deepest dreams. You've, you never articulated out loud yourself, much less you hear from another man's voice and cant it out into the universe. And it messed with my mind and my heart, something fierce. And honestly, a lot of the half that list were things I wanted to do for my family. You know, my parents immigrated here from Asia. We, I mean, typical story, we lived in the back of a, a laundry mat, didn't speak the language, didn't have any money, education, any of that. And I just, I wanted to do stuff for my, my family that they, all because of all their sacrifice. And uh, with that leverage and, uh, and understanding the importance of, of, of drive and motivation to get to do, I'm, I'm very curious what motivates people to do things. You know, to take, I don't believe knowledge is power at all. You know, I, you know all the, it's potential as a potential to be power, right? You know, but all the podcasts, online programs, coaching, seminars, none of it works unless we work it. And, um, and so with that motivation, I agree to read one book a week. So fast forward, I'm back at school and I'm sitting at my desk. I have a pile of books I have to read for midterms and I have a pile of books that I promise to read. And I couldn't even do one pile of books. So what do I do? I sacrifice. I don't eat, I don't sleep, I don't work out. So I spend time with friends. I don't, I live in the library. And I just, it's not very sustainable. And I end up passing out one night out of sheer exhaustion. I fall down a flight of stairs in the library, hit my head again. And then I wake up two days later in the hospital. And at this point, I've lost all, I've, I, was, I lost, I went down 117 pounds. the scariest point in my life ever. I thought I died. And, you know, when you have a near-death experience, I mean, it makes you think about, like, deep about who you are. And, you know, I think a lot of people have, you know, honestly, near-life experiences <laughs> where they're not, they're not, you know, stepping into that place, but um, made me ask a new question. You know, why am I here? Why am I struggling like this? And I didn't have any answers. It's like, man, I have a really slow brain. And then at that time, you know, the nurse came in with a mug of tea and it had a picture of the same one, the person I did the book report on is Albert Einstein. And it was like, and there was a quote on there. I felt like he was speaking to me. It said, the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. And I was like, well, what's my problem? I was like, I have a very slow learner. I'm a very slow brain. It's like, well, how do I think differently about it? Well, maybe I can learn how to learn faster. Maybe I can learn how to have a faster brain. And I put my studies aside and I just start studying learning you know, learning how to learn. I think it's a superpower. If there's one skill to master in the 21st century, you know, with all this change that's going on, rapid change, it's the only constant is just how do you learn it and absorb it and think differently and apply it. And so I started studying neuroscience, adult learning theory, multiple intelligences, um, anything I get my hands on, mnemonics, speed reading, everything. And then about six days into it, a light switch went on and I started to understand things for the very first time. I mean, it was just like, and I remember, I never talk about this, but I, I remember the time, the moment it happened. It was, um, we were in class. It was about 300 people in a lecture center. And back then there were these, um, these overhead projectors, right? And with these, you know, and <laughs> like with these, with these, like, yeah. these pulling, like, and, um, and then the professor put something on the overhead projector and, you know, a few seconds into it, I just start laughing. And I'm so quiet. I'm the quiet one in class. I do everything to not, like if I was to have one superpower back in school, it was invisibility. Like I didn't want to be seen. I didn't. I mean, I wanted to be seen. I wanted to be heard, but I didn't want the spotlight. And um, and so because you know when you're broken and you feel like you're not enough, you don't want that attention. But I start laughing out loud, really loud, and everyone turns around and looks at me, and I'm freaking out. Like oh my goodness, because I didn't realize it. And then about thirty seconds into it, other people started laughing. There was this ripple effect, and we were laughing at what was on the screen. But I had just read it and learned it really fast, right at that moment, and I didn't realize it at the time. Um, oh, wow. But with my grades, when my grades improved, my life improved. And here's the thing, when my inspiration really was my desperation, you know, how I ended up on this path all those years ago was I couldn't help but help other people, right? You talk about your passion and my passion became learning, but my purpose also became teaching, mm. you know, sharing it with other people because I felt really upset that I wasn't taught this back in school and I had to go through all that suffering and struggling every single day, mm. you know, sometimes crying myself to sleep, not feeling I was enough. And um, so I started helping other individuals and um, I don't share this story um, very often, but um, I didn't know how to help other individuals. So I was like, okay, I'm gonna, I was walking and like doing this meditation around campus and I noticed there was this classroom that wasn't being used late at night on a Thursday night. And I was like, okay, um, next 
week, I'm gonna put five or 10 people in that room, teach them for free, and then maybe afterwards, one or two of them wanna be my students and I could tutor them. And then um, I go back to my uh, dorm room and I take out a piece of paper and I write free speed reading, memory tips, get better grades in less time, <laughs> Thursday, 7 p.m. And the next morning, this is like my first like you know uh, opportunity to share this. The next morning I make some photocopies and on the way to class, just put some around the campus, not a lot. Um, and then fast forward to Thursday, seven o'clock, I go, I'm walking around the hallway. I'm just hoping five people showed up were interested in, in this. And I turn the corner and there's a crowd of people outside the door. And I'm freaking out because I was like, honestly, I was like, oh, I hope whatever's going on ends soon so I can do my thing. And uh, I go up to there and, and there's this crowd of people and I can't even see inside because there's a big tall guy. I was like tapping on like, what's going on inside? He's like, there's a speed reading class. And honest to God, Jay, I was like, wow, what a coincidence. <laughs> what, what are the odds there's another speed reading class, the same room, the same night, the same time. And I push my way in and there's rooms full of people, people standing in the back, but nobody's teaching. And it takes my slow brain all that time to realize why they're all there. And I do a head count. And instead of five or 10 people, there's 110 people. Now, keep in mind, I'm phobic of public speaking. I'm 18 years old. I, I look you know, like really young. I'm wearing t-shirt shorts. I have nothing prepared to talk about. And there's teaching assistants in there, graduate students. And um, my heart's beating out of my chest. I can't even breathe. And so I leave because I can't, I can't do it. And uh, I go to this, um, the fountain. And I've always meditated in my, in my life. It's just something more of my nature because I spend so much time in my imagination to myself um, as, as an introvert. And, um, and I, when I was meditating, I heard this voice inside my head and it's my mom's. And she says, I won't tell you exactly what she says, but essentially it's like hundred people came out because you promised to help them and you're disappointing them. You're disappointing me. And, um, and I'm doing this walking meditation wow. back to the, my dorm room and I stop and I take one step back to the classroom. And isn't it interesting that one step in another direction can completely change your destination mm-hmm. or your destiny, right? Absolutely. And I go back and honestly, as a memory expert, it's embarrassing. I don't even remember what I talked about. I mean, I don't know how you are on stage, but sometimes it just flows, <laughs> yeah. just flows through Those you, are the right? Best days. Yeah, best and days. Uh, I remember, you know, on stage with Wayne Dyer, he's like, he never preps; he just, yes. he just, pra- you know, prays a servant, just comes right through. And but after two hours, I come out of this trance, and I was just like, okay. But I remember what I said then, consciously, I was like, oh, I don't know if I could help everybody here, but it, it'll take about ten hours for me to teach you some of the things that I'm doing, two hours a week, you know, um, you know, over the next five weeks. And I just said, oh, you know, I get $30 an hour to, to teach us because that's what I got um, teaching tennis back in you know, high school. If you're interested, I'll be in the student center tomorrow at noon. And then I, I swear to you, Jay, 100 people just get up and they leave. And then no, no interaction at all. And I am, I feel two things. Number one, I feel completely confused. I'm just like, what happened? Did everyone just not, did I just, what did I say while this was going on? And did I just, was I a complete idiot? And then the other feeling I had was complete exhaustion. Because you know when you get yourself to do something you never thought you could do, mm-hmm. like you know whether it's public speaking or, or or talking to that person that you're always you know you're attracted to, or starting that business, or jumping out of that plane, or whatever. I was completely exhausted mentally, emotionally, physically, and I end up falling asleep on the floor, on that carpet. It was, it was the best sleep of my life I've ever had to this day. And I get woken up by the class coming in the next morning, and I, I mean it's scary. You're like drooling on yourself, looking up and seeing <laughs> like you know class students. And I run back to my dorm room and I, um, I shower, I go to breakfast, go to class. 12 o'clock comes, I promised people I'd be in the student center. I run there and I just hope one person is there. And when I get there, the entire, that crowd is, this is there, showed up. And um, at the end of in about an hour or two, 71 of the 100 kids signed up for a program that didn't even exist. And it was at a price point of $300 um, because I didn't even do the math because I wasn't doing it for the money. It was like 171 times $300 because I didn't realize kids could go to the ATM machine and take out $300 because I didn't, I didn't have an ATM card. I didn't have that. I never saw $300 in my life. And so, I, so now I'm not even 19 years old and I have $21,000 cash in my backpack. And, um, and I go back to um, my mentor, his wisdom saying, don't let school get in the way of your education. And I feed my body because I lost all that weight. But mostly I use that to invest in feeding my mind. And I buy every book, every audio cassette at that time. There's no, uh, <laughs> everything that wasn't, wasn't digital. I travel the world um, to learn my craft. And the reason why I do this today 
is because one of those students, 71 um, young adults, she was a freshman. She read 30 books in 30 days. I mean, can you imagine going online and picking up 30 books, yeah. you know, and, and just absorbing, not skim it, but just really un- understood it. And I wanted to find out not how, but why, going back to motivation. And I found out that her mother was dying of terminal cancer and was only given two, 60 days to live, two months to live, doctors. Um, and so I, I wished her well, prayers. Six months later, I get a call from this young lady. She's crying and crying, crying. I can't get a word out of her. And I find out they're tears of joy that her mother not only survived, but is really getting better. Doctors don't know how or why. They called it a miracle. But her mother attributed 100% to the great advice she got from her daughter who learned her from all these books. And that's where I realized at that moment, if knowledge is power, learning is your superpower. And it's a superpower we all have inside of us. And I devoted my life to showing people how to unlock and unleash it. <laughs> wow. Um, so oh I get God, I, I, I get that. a little choked so up much. thinking yeah. about about that, but that that's my mission. The boy with the broken brain. I just want to no brain left behind. Yeah, yeah I, I want to show I want to show people really what they're capable of, and, and they, that we all have genius inside of us. That it's not how smart you are; it's really how are you smart. Mm. And um, and we've had this conversation, you know, with, and that's what I feel like people are looking for that. Yeah, I love that man. That's yeah, listening to it in full yeah. like that. And I'm sure there's so much more, but thank you for so much for sharing those stories as well. They're really powerful. And the the genuineness and sincerity with which you're doing this just comes across really naturally. I, I can feel the energy. It's not even a, and I already knew that about you, but it's not about anything else apart from no brain left behind. I love that. But yeah, let's let's look at that a bit more. And I And I want to unpack parts of that story because I think that a lot of people are listening right now or watching right now and they're saying, Jim, I feel exactly how you felt. Yeah. Right. I was the same. I never felt I liked reading growing up because we only read fiction books at school. Right. And I've never been a fan of certain types of fiction that we were exposed to at school. Okay. And when I got exposed to nonfiction when I was 14, I got fascinated with reading and I just kept reading and reading and reading <laughs> because I loved reading about real people and real stories. And at the same time, I've been fascinated by superheroes or magic, but mm-hmm. we never read books like that, fiction books like that at school. Right, right. So I also had challenges with what I loved and what I didn't love and what I believed. So our biggest challenges, you know this, I know this, are around our beliefs are around what we believe is possible. Right. You had a eight from eight years old to 18. That seems like a really tough time in your life in terms of your projections of yourself, your beliefs about yourself. What is your advice now to people who have those limiting beliefs? How do they start that journey or that process yeah. of opening up their minds or whatever you feel is right for them? I, I really do feel this is one of the most important conversations people could be having right now. Mm-hmm. Because to create any kind of results in our life, we need to behave a certain way. But in order to do a behavior, we need a belief that enables that to happen. And um, I think the nature of a lot of the work that, that we do is, is about transcending. Is uh, When I say we, I mean everyone who's here mm-hmm. in this community. It's about transcend. It's about ending the trance. Ending this mass hypnosis through marketing, through media that says that you're broken, you know, exactly what I experienced as a child, that you need to be, that you need to be fixed, that there is something wrong with you. And I feel like, you know, all this fear of not feeling like you're enough is, is, is at the root of a lot of challenges because in, in, in actuality, we're not so much a, a thermometer reacting to the environment all the time as we are a thermostat. And our beliefs are kind of like the temperature we're setting. And when we set a goal or, or a belief or a vision for something, you know, the environment changes. But I think people make the kind of money that they believe that they are worth, that they are in the kind of relationship or lack thereof, maybe because of, of what they believe about, you know, relationships or they believe about who they are and how valuable that they, they are, or maybe even the state of health, right? That the power of a belief or placebo that people could change the level of health just by having a certain a thought. And, um, and we know that there's a biology to belief also as well. And so what I, I know in, in my experience of having students in over 180 countries working with children with the most severe learning challenges to adults, you know, I, don't, I, never, I never talk about this. My, my grandmother died of Alzheimer's. 
you know, and so that affects your beliefs when you're a child, along with my brain injury labeled the broken brain. I remember going to see my grandmother and she would call me by the, uh, you know, my, by my brother's name. You know, I would remember talking to my grandmother about something. And then two minutes later, we're talking about the same exact thing. And people who know, you know, who've had this experience and who doesn't know somebody who has, you know, who mm-hmm. has been mm-hmm. affected by dementia or, or Alzheimer's, you just, it's like you lose your mind, you lose part of, you know, who you are, your identity. And so all those things affect your belief about what is possible. So the reason why I do these demonstrations on stage is to really shake up what people feel is possible. But I know, and this is what research shows, that regardless of your age, your background, your career, your education, your financial situation, your gender, your history, your IQ, only about a one third, according to the research, is your intellect, your potential, your memory is predetermined by genetics in biology, but two thirds is in your control. Now, some people would say 100% is in your control, you know, epigenetics and your beliefs, the power of it. But at research, you know, traditionally saying two thirds is, you have more influence than you think. Mm-hmm. That it's not- Two thirds is good enough. Exactly, <laughs> that it's not, it's not, it's, you know, the, the whole mindset between a fixed mindset and a growth mindset is that, um, that it's not set. Like your IQ, when you take an IQ test when you're a child, it's not what you're set for life. It's not fixed like your shoe size. And um, plus, you know, the beliefs around IQ, people feel like that that's a standardized test could, this is your potential. I mean, that's ludicrous, mm-hmm. right? That, that something like that is said. And so I think when we're talking about beliefs, all of it is, has to do with our, our culture and what our influences, what were imprinted on early on. And I also believe part of it has to do with our self-talk. I remember I was preparing to, to run a marathon you know, with a name like Quick, and people talk about my name. I, I didn't change my name to do what I do. It's my father's name, my grandfather's name. That's so cool. You know, and <laughs> so it's um, it's something that I was born with. And and I would say that um, when I was running this marathon, I read this chapter in a book on the psychology of it, and it said this word for word, because I'm a memory expert. It said, <laughs> your brain is like a supercomputer and your self-talk is a program it will run. So if you tell yourself you're not good at remembering names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. And um, you know, I always tell people, your mind is always eavesdropping on your self-talk. It's mm-hmm. always listening. You know this. If if people knew how powerful their minds were, like right now, when people are listening to this, you have hundreds of millions of neurons firing off. You know, and they say a person's mind, once stretched by a new idea, never regains its original dimensions, right? Neurogenesis, neuroplasticity, we're always, you know, thoughts that, you know, um, brain cells that wire together, they, 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 they fire together, they wire together, these thoughts are things. And so I would say, if you knew how powerful your minds really were, you wouldn't have a thought or say something you didn't want to be true. And now that's not to say you have one negative thought and it ruins your life, right? Any more than eating a donut ruins your life, you know, like you know, yes. your body, but it's the habit of doing it. Right? We talk about habits like meditation and working out and eating right and gratitude. But you know, what about the habits of our feelings, the emotional habits that we have? What about the habits of our thoughts that were the, the, the things we're saying to ourselves all the time inside? Like I have a friend, like, you know, I feel like we ask these things all the time. We have these thoughts that we have to be conscious of in order to change. But, um, and we have certain thoughts that are just constant, like, um, like, like these dominant ones. And I remember a friend of mine, we went through this exercise and her primary thought is, how do I get people to like me? Wow. Like, can you imagine if you ask yourself hundreds of times a day, consciously or unconsciously, how do I get people to like me? Like, Jay, you don't know this person. You don't know her age, her background, her, her career, any, her, her financials. You don't know anything about her, but you know everything about her, mm. right? If somebody's asking them constantly like themselves, you know, how do I get people to like me? You, I mean, what's that person like? Mm. Like, what's their personality like? You know, they're always, they're people pleaser. You know, their personality is changing depending on who they're spending time with. Right. They're a martyr. They're always looking to serve. And, they're, and, and you know all that stuff because you know one of their thoughts because thoughts are things. And so I would ask people to evaluate, you know, your beliefs, your self-talk because it, it runs these programs. And it's so once you're conscious of it, you can make changes. Like, you know, I don't have a great memory yet. You know, some, a simple three-letter word at the end of a sentence changes everything because words have power. You know, um, there's even this little pet peeve I have is that, you know, people talk about nice and they talk about kind, but those are two completely different things like night and day, you know, in terms of what motivates somebody who's nice, 
a person who's nice could treat somebody who's going through a bad day or a homeless person, they could treat them nice. But somebody who's kind is different. They invest their their time, their, there's caring, there's work. You know, a nice person does things when they have the time. A kind person does, they, they make the time to do things, right? A nice person is more... It's a beautiful distinction. Externally motivated, meaning somebody who's nice, usually sometimes they placate. They don't want to create waves. They don't want to upset anybody. Um, because they don't want to look bad, um, and, but somebody who's kind, they're more internally motivated, and they, um, they 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 do what's right because out of caring and compassion. Because uh, you know, a nice person might not recognize the 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 broccoli in your teeth <laughs> because they would they don't want to create anything. But but a, a kind person would be like, hey, you got something there, or they'll call you on your stuff and they'll tell you what you need to hear because they'll speak the truth because they're not trying to get validation. You know, and, a, that's a beautiful. And so, like little distinctions in words, even things like. You know, people say all the time, I got to pick up the kids. I, I got to journal today. I got to meditate. But you change that word got to get. Oh my goodness. I, I get to pick up my kids. I get to work out today. I get to eat right. I get to meditate. So, you know, those those words affect how we think I and mean, they affect our core beliefs. And so I would say one of the fundamental places to changing those that belief is to really be conscious of your your thoughts, especially those automatic they call them ants, automatic negative thoughts, right? You want to want to be able to squash those ants because it's definitely good for your brain. I love that. Yeah, no, and and I couldn't agree with you more. I couldn't agree with you more. It's 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 incredible how simple it sounds and seems, even though it has such a profound effect on us. Right, yeah. like it, it has such a profound effect. Like changing, adding that three-letter word "yet." Right, right. Just that small thing can have such a huge impact. But we need to give this attention in our lives because otherwise, that negative self-talk has been playing for so long that it could just keep going on in the background. Right, and we don't even know where it came from. You know, even right. when 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 we're children. So we're not. And I feel like that in order to be able to make any kind of change, you have to recognize what it is. Otherwise, then. We're at the effect of it. Then, mm-hmm. then we're going back to being a, a thermometer, if you were, mm-hmm. and that would that would be the big challenge. But then, and you would call it fate when yeah. it's really you know you get this awareness, having those distinctions. Absolutely. And we have to think about what we also want to invest in learning too. Of course. Because I feel like the pressure of I remember the, the, you've just made me think of this when you were talking about your school experience. Every year in my high school, so secondary school, uh, we call it secondary school. You call it high school. We used to get ranked for every subject out of 180 students and it would be put up in front of everyone. Mm. So you'd be ranked against everyone in your peer group out of 180 in every single subject in school. So math, English, biology, chemistry, physics, art, design, English, history, geography, politics, whatever it was. And then you'd be able to see where you were. And I remember there were certain subjects like philosophy, art and design, economics, where I would always perform well. I'd, I'd always probably be in the top five, three, and one, more often than not in those subjects. And then subjects like math and English, I was always pretty high, but things like math and geography, I was always kind of in the middle mm. or maybe towards the, the latter half. And, and it's interesting how that, we amplify that which we're not good at. That's interesting. Right, we ampli- it's like saying, for example, you were giving the broccoli example, but imagine you dress up to go out to an event. Right. And everyone at the event was just like, oh, Jim, I love your shoes. I love that T-shirt. I love the slogan. And then you get one person who comes up to you and says, Jim, that slogan makes no sense. <laughs> and we go home amplifying that one person who said that makes no sense. Why does that happen? And how do we stop that happening? How do we stop the mind from doing that? Because I actually think more people receive compliments. They receive encouragement. They're receiving support. But actually our mind tricks us into amplifying and magnifying yeah. the one negative piece. It's like in your comments, I'm sure you see it. Yeah. When you're scrolling through your comments, your mind naturally goes to the, the critical ones. Right, right. And we see so many social media people, so many influencers, so many models, actors, actresses who get consumed by the negative comments on their feeds. Yeah. So how do we stop that from happening? Yeah, I'm really concerned about this digital age. I, I feel like it serves and enabled. I love knowing what you're up to. And it's great for staying up to date with with friends and family mm-hmm. and learning and inspiration. And I love that. And, you know, we talk about superheroes and superpowers, but there also there could be like this super villain in that this digital age, we have digital overload, too much to learn, too little time. We have digital distraction. I mean, goodness. I mean, when we pick up our phone, every dopamine fix from every like, share, comment, everything. 
And then you have digital dementia relying on your phone and you, it just does everything for you. So you don't have to use your, your mental faculties as much. So, you know, we're so dependent on that. But then there's this digital depression that's coming from comparison, right? You see, sometimes we see all the good stuff and we focus on the bad or you see every the highlight curated filtered life of everyone's incredible life and know that, you know, you don't see the struggle sometimes as, as much. And that's why I can appreciate your work because it brings, it's, 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 it's full and it's, it's rich, um, full spectrum. And I think that one of the challenges is part of your brain through survival, you have this reticular activating system that, because right now there's 2 billion stimuli we could be focusing on. I mean, you would go stark rave mad if, if you did, right? That flood of information, that noise, if you will. So we could only pay attention to a small bite of information. You know, at a Harvard, George Miller says it's seven plus or minus two, you know, five to nine bits. You could consciously be aware. And so what do we become aware of? And you're right. A lot of that stuff is the, the, the criticisms. It's the, uh, it's the people, it's the negative stuff that, you know, you want to protect yourself from because you it's feeding that fear that we're not, we're not enough. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you start asking those kind of questions because you can delete. So primarily your brain, people don't realize it's a deletion device. It's trying to, get keep things out right so it deletes it distorts and it, it generalizes and all of a sudden you see one bad comment out of a flood of maybe 100 people are rooting for you and then you obsess about that one thing and then you generalize like that's the real thing and it's kind of interesting when it comes to your happiness because i feel like people who are generally happy will focus you know on, on the glass half full as opposed because at any moment there are negative we could always be sad and depressed and not feel good enough because there's plenty of stuff to focus on you know, but just also right now, there are you know, people getting married. There are people having you know, babies. There are people who are learning new things and starting new careers. So it really is a matter of focus. And I, and I think, you know, I, I did this podcast episode where I was in the power plant. And I tell this story about a power plant that's very active. And one day it just shuts down. At the middle of nowhere, it just shuts down. And the employees are running around. They're, they're frantic with their heads cut off. And finally, operations manager after three hours says, okay, we got to get some outside help. They call a local technician. Technician's like, you're lucky. I'm right around the corner. Technician shows up and he's, he surveys the power plant for about a few minutes. He, and there's full of beams everywhere. He goes to one specific beam. And on there, there's all these electrical boxes. He goes to one specific electrical box. He puts a big X with a magic marker on it. He opens it up and there are all these bolts and wires and screws. He goes to one specific screw and he turns it not a quarter of an inch. And all of a sudden, the whole power plant lights up again. And the, the operations manager is like, thank you. You saved our, our, our business. You saved the day. How much do I owe you? He's like, that will be $10,000. And he's like, what? You were here for five minutes. All you did was turn a screw. He's like, you know, how can you even justify that? He's like, give me an itemized bill. He's like, no problem. Technician reaches in his back pocket, takes out a piece of paper, scribbles on it, tears off the sheet, gives it to him. And he's like, oh, I understand. He goes to his desk, writes a check for $10,000, hands it to the man. And he basically, and you look at the, the, the invoice, if you will, and it says, turning screw, $1. Knowing what screw to turn, $9,999. <laughs> And, and the lesson is for people who are listening is not that you have a screw loose, is that little things can make a big difference, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that, it's a, what I call a focal point or a force multiplier, you know, where the same amount of input, multiple output or the lead domino, if you will, that could hit a lot of dominoes. And the same thing applies to our, our, our focus and our thoughts. And I would say at the core level, People are trying to change their behavior at all times, right? They want to change. They want to stop smoking. They want to meditate. They want to go for walks or do something with their kids. But you struggle. And, and willpower only goes so far, right? But above that level is this level of capability, you know? And that's why, you know, people, like you say, doing the deep work mm. because people avoid the deep work. But if you don't do that, you know, if you procrastinate, put things off and you just do the easy things, life is hard. We know mm-hmm. that. But mm-hmm. if you do the hard things, life becomes easier, right? So, the capability. So check, do you have the, the skill set on how to be able to do that behavior of stop smoking or meditation and such? Because there's a there's a competence, confidence loop that the more competent you get, capable, the more confident you get. Totally. And then you're more likely to do it and get better. So it's positive momentum. But the level above that is the conversation we've been having about beliefs and values. Because maybe somebody wants the behavior of, of let's say, um, meditating every single day and maybe they even are, we're, we're, we're trained, right, up to do it in capabilities. But the belief is, you know, I can't quiet my mind. Or maybe the, they, the value is they don't value 
being still and silent with themselves or being present with themselves. Or maybe the behavior is they want to remember names better, right? But then they maybe and they went through one of our podcasts or something and they got the capability, but the belief is I have a horrible memory, mm-hmm. right? Or the value is I don't really care about people, you know, and so that that's going to affect the behavior, but people are trying to force it and try to remember <laughs> names when they should be addressing a different level. But the level of beliefs and values is this level of identity. And you know, you've addressed this before. It's like the two most powerful words in the English language, the shortest words, I am. Because whatever you put after that is, you know, if somebody let's say their behavior is they want to stop smoking, but they, you know, and maybe they have the capability to do it. They even have beliefs or values around health, but their identity is I am a smoker. That's going to be a hard change to make. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they want to stop procrastinating, but their identity is I am a procrastinator. You know, that could be a big challenge for a lot of people. And the last level I would say below behavior is this level of environment. And the environment really is like, let's say somebody has the behavior of they want to, you know, do something like meditate, but their environment doesn't allow them to have time for themselves. Or maybe they want to um, read 30 minutes a day, but their environment doesn't have, you know, it's too dark or whatever. Now, the big thing going back to pull this all full circle is the power of beliefs. We talked about the power of questions because your questions determine what you're focusing on. Your reticular activating system, what do you focus on is most real. Now in school, you learn there are six major core questions, right? Five W's and the H. So look at this again, these levels of transformation. Identity answers the question of who, right? Beliefs and values answers the question of why. Capabilities answers the question of how. Behavior answers the question of what. And the environment answers the question of when and, and where. So when you're looking to make complete change, whether it's getting people to read three times faster, remember names, be able to learn another language, be able to meditate, be able to you know do any kind of change, start that business, you want to make sure all those levels align. Then you have alignment here, mm-hmm. you know, mind, body, and uh, and life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's that alignment. That point you just made at the end there is unbelievable because. I couldn't agree with you more. Just looking back, it's funny when you've studied something at school and we just take it as like, ah, you know, right. it was cute and fun. But when you actually break it down, like you just explained it, and I recommend everyone who is listening, go listen back to that, what, what uh, Jim just said. Because it, I think it was Gandhi who said that when what you think, what you say, and what you do are aligned, mm-hmm. then you experience harmony in life. Yeah, and you're not, and I love that word harmony because a mm. lot of people... They talk about about balance, and it's going back to like and kind. You know, somebody who's nice and kind. There's a difference between balance. balance and harmony. Like so many people, it's like I want to balance life, but balance. When you look up the definition, it's balance is like an equality, like an equal amount of time and effort. Like I, but I don't want to spend the same amount of time at work as I do working out with the kids and everything. So you don't want an equality there in of of time, but you want harmony, like a like an orchestra, mm-hmm. right? Like you have not every single instrument or person is has equal amount of time, but they come together and they create this incredible symphony. And I feel like we could do that with our with our life also as yeah. well. And I think that exactly is what you just said. What this everything we're talking about has just been brought back full circle because our mindset about our life is I need everything to be balanced. I right. need to fit this in. Mm-hmm. Like the language around I need to fit something in. Right. Or I need to make time for this. Right. And it's it puts pressure, artificial pressure. And then it feels like we can't balance. Balance kind of feels like you're juggling. Right, or spinning feel, lots of plates or that, something. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, spinning lots of plates. That doesn't feel like a great visualization for Not the mind all. or a mindset. And then what you've just said, that actually shifting balance to harmony. Right. And you start thinking about it like an orchestra. Right. It's like, oh, wow. And okay, then, so, you know, the, the string quartet is playing for that long. Percussion comes in then, et cetera, et cetera. And it and it all, all of a sudden even the visualization of that just just calms the heartbeat right down. You know, I, I do an annual uh, quick brain event, and mm. we had in our audience uh, Quincy Jones. We actually had Quincy Jones, Don McGower Ruiz from you know at the Four Agreements. I mean, the founder work, but they're all sitting like and I just like Quincy comes up and he's eighty five years old, and I was like, tell me about um, everyone talks about successes. We are the world. Everything. I want. I want. What are your biggest struggles? What are the problems you went through? And you had to overcome. He's like, Jim, I don't have any problems. I'm like, what? Like, I mean, everybody has problems. I mean, if you don't have any problems, you're pretty, you're six feet under, right? Yeah. He's like, no, I don't have any problems. I have puzzles. Mm. Another ch- change in word and languaging, and all of a sudden, 
you know, for me, a puzzle is like fun. You know, a yeah. puzzle has has a solution to it. Something is you know, something I that, that I could take on. So that languaging plays a big role. Even when people are going back to that levels of transformation using words, people say, "I am, I am busy." Yeah, I mean, I, this is such a pet peeve of mine. Just like mm, nice and too. kindness is people say, "Oh, you know, how's thing?" Oh, I'm just so busy, and it's like they get this secondary gain of uh, you know significance you know because the meta level message you're sending somebody when you're busy saying you're busy is like oh i'm really important and successful and for me like you people will have this badge of honor saying they're busy all the time and then they wonder you know they design their whole life around being busy and they wonder why they're stressed all mm-hmm. the time that mm-hmm. they have anxiety they're not getting any sleep but we're constantly programming it with our thoughts all the time. What's your switch for busy? I have so one too. You do you have one? What, yeah. do you, what do you use? Mine's productive. I like that. I yeah, like that. Mine's productive. So when someone says, "How's your week been?" I'm like, yeah. "It's been productive." Because when I say productive, yeah, I feel empowered. I feel I've been effective. And with what we teach, you know, people, I don't share this publicly, but I, um, I have very bad sleep apnea. Mm. And so besides my learning challenges, so my two biggest challenges growing up as a kid were learning and public speaking. And the universe has a sense of humor because what I do every day is public speak on learning. But of recent, um, I've been struggling with sleep apnea. And usually it's caused by um, someone being overweight because they have this excess um, weight around their neck, so it's hard to breathe. And um, that's not my case. It's, It's genetic. And I stop breathing 200 times a night. And each time is at least 10 seconds. So you know, I went to UCLA and they're like, no wonder the doctor's like, it's like, you're not sleeping. It's like somebody coming in with a pillow and suffocating you 200 times a night and I'm waking up because I can't breathe. And I use a CPAP device, a dental device. I flew down to spend two weeks with John of God in Brazil. I mean, I've done all of this stuff, you know, but I do believe that if anyone's watching this or listening to this right now, that the question I ask, we're talking about the power of questions and beliefs, is that there's a gift in every struggle. And I ask myself, you know, what, where's the gift in this? Mm. You know, people talk about post-traumatic stress and I've had post-traumatic stress. We've all had loss. We've all had, you know, a lo- loss of loved ones, loss of relationships, financial issues, health issues. But I believe that post-traumatic stress, what people don't realize there's also post-traumatic growth. Mm. That some people, and I am sure you could identify this and a lot of um, your community can also, is that you've gone through adversity and difficulty. And it's something you would never wish upon in their soul. But those people come out on the other side. Some people will say, I honestly wouldn't change it. As hard as it was going through it, I I have a new meaning in my life, a new strength, a new clarity, a new life purpose or mission. Mm -hmm. And um, and that sculpted my soul because I believe that difficult times, they could diminish you, they could define you, or they could develop you. And ultimately, we we decide, and that's the that's the power we have. That whether or not you believe you believe in fate, certain things that meant to happen, we also have free will to decide what to focus on, what things mean, you know. Also, as well. So with the sleep apnea, my gift from it is I, I search it. I'm like, what you know? If I'm only sleeping two hours a night, it's not like I gain six hours of productivity. You're talking about being productive, but my gift is number one it's forced me to double down on everything I teach. So I have to be very highly productive so I, so I could read faster and be, you know, all the stuff that I teach and learn because I'm at this disadvantage. So I live, you know, I, I, we had started this conversation with the life you live are the lessons you teach, mm-hmm. you know? And so I could roll out of bed at four o'clock in the morning and do this because all I have to do is tell people what I'm doing because I don't have to rehearse it because sure. I, you know, I live it. Um, just like yourself or anyone watching this. But the other thing is not only is it, the gift was me um, learning these skills and developing the capability. It's um, forced me to be very protective of my time. Mm. You know, when we're talking about being busy, um, you know, everything in my life is heaven yes or heaven no. Like right now, there's nowhere I'd rather be than right here with you. You know what I mean? Because a lot of people who are stressed and overloaded, it's self-inflicted because they are self-opting in saying yes way too much. Mm-hmm. you know. And we've all read that book, Good to Great, say no to good so you can mm-hmm. say yes to great. But a lot of people have too many tabs open in their life. They're saying yes, yes, yes. And a lot of people in this community also do that because they're martyrs. They're helping their friends, their family, their loved ones, their customers, their clients, but they're not taking care of themselves. And we've all heard self-love and self-care is not selfish, that you have to give you know, to yourself before you can give to somebody else. And what I would say to everyone, maybe this is a wake-up call saying, that it, you know you have opportunity stress. You're saying yes way too much. Is mm. to take care. Say no to, to things so you can say yes to yourself. 
And that's what I've learned to be able to do, you know, with myself because I, you know, I don't have infinite energy because of my sleep and and everything that comes from that. And so, you know, through struggles, you know, can lead to strengths, can Mm. lead to superpowers for sure. Absolutely. I love that. You've helped so many thousands of people through your teaching, lectures, courses online, and so many influential people. I mean, you've worked with everyone from like Elon Musk to Will Smith to Quincy Jones was at your event, which I didn't know. But all of these incredible people you've helped and helped them learn, what have they taught you in the process? What have you learned yeah. from them? So I learned something from everyone. You know, with Quincy, um, not only was it, um, you know, I've, I've, he's amazing when people find their passion, they use it for purpose. But one of the things that I learned from him is the power of perspective. Mm. You know, he, people don't realize this, but when I was, um, you know, I, we've been to, I've, I've celebrated eight of his past 10 birthdays and we talk about things. We stay up way late in the night and he speaks 23 languages, which is extraordinary. You know, so there's definitely a correlation between music and languages, you know, that part of your brain, if you will. But what I'm talking what I've learned from him is the power of perspective, Mm. meaning he has this phrase saying, you have to go to know, meaning he travels all around the world because he really, you know, I don't think there would be any kind of prejudice, you know, uh, with, with other people, people just travel more you know, in their mind, even if it's from books or anything, because when you're exposed to culture and language and food and different things, you learn a deep appreciation for it. So you don't have to tolerate it. Mm. You know, to- tolerance is one thing, but you could actually appreciate and acknowledge and be more accepting of things and mm. notice that the patterns of how we're all the same also. So the power of perspective. And, you know, even when I went to my friend's house when I was, you know, ready to quit school, um, you know, that perspective of changing place and people, because when you change place, you should have a different perspective. So I encourage anyone who's struggling right now with a difficult decision or a different situation to step out of it and change your place, meaning Mm. just even going for a walk, you know, helps, but also changing your people because everyone's heard that who you spend time with is who you become. You spend time with nine broke people, you become the 10th, right? But there's a, there's a real neuroscience reason. You have mirror neurons, which is your imitation um, cells that are always imitating what other people are doing. That's why we empathize so well when we're watching a movie. We could feel scared when the person's going through a scary moment. Or, you know, sports, you could feel what they're feeling. But we also, when we imitate, though, also are those things, their capabilities, their beliefs. We start imitating their values. That's why it's better well done than it is well said for mm. parenting. You know, mm. certainly it's not people. Don't, and even in online, I, I, I think people who are most successful, like yourself, is they don't just say it, they show it. You know, they don't promise it, they prove it. And I feel like that, you know, the things that we do is teaches people more than anything else, especially for children who don't learn. You know, Maya Angelou said, you know, people will forget what you say. You know, they, they, they'll, they will, they'll, they'll, they'll literally, they'll forget what you say and they'll, they'll forget what you do, but they'll always remember how you made them feel, you know, mm-hmm. through your ex- example. And so I've learned that from Quincy, you know, from Elon and I actually bonded over uh, sci-fi our love of sci-fi books, going back to fiction. A lot of people, and I, I, I really I love sci-fi do. fiction, but we never had that in school. I know. And so yeah. like, you know, so many people in our community, they read nonfiction books. And I totally appreciate that. If somebody has decades of experience, they put into a book and you can sit down in a couple of days or a few days and read that book. You can download decades and days, leaders, readers completely. But um, so much research is coming out saying if people spend more time reading fiction, it mm. helps with imagination, totally. creativity. By the way, like, Everyone's job right now, like because of where this digital age is going, you think about AI, artificial intelligence, you think about automation, everything's being outsourced right mm. now you know, to Asia. So those are the three A's, automation, Asia, and, um, and, and uh, artificial intelligence. So what, what's, where's our humanity here? It's you know, what makes us special? Things that, they, that computers aren't going to do, imagination. Mm-hmm. You're right. Imagination mm-hmm. is power. Uh, yes. you know, it's, uh, Einstein said that. Um, what about um, creativity? Right. Mm-hmm. Creativity is like the, the future belongs to the creatives. Yeah. Right. And, but that's not taught in school. You know, no. school teaches you what to learn, math, history, science, Spanish, important class on what to learn, but no class on how to learn. They teach yeah. you what to learn and what to think, not how to learn and how to think. Or the class on imagination, creativity, listening, you know, concentration, focus, intelligence, you know, all these different areas. You know, I always thought, just, you know, at least remembering, teach people how to remember what they learn. <laughs> you know, reading, writing, arithmetic, the three R's, but what about recall, retention? You know, Socrates mm-hmm. says learning is remembering because if we lost half of our memories we lose like a big part of who we are you know and and the other reason why is people i was doing this program at google and somebody said like jim why do i have to remember all this you know i could just it's on our search engine and this is the truth if our life is a reflection of the decisions we've made up to this point you know the 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 
the um, the sum of all our decisions. You know, but we can only make good decisions based on the information that we know and remember. But if we forgot half the words we knew, half the people we knew, half of our expertise, we won't be able to make good decisions for our Constantly. life, good decisions for our health, good you know decisions on our relationship and what to do. And so, memory really is 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 a, is a superpower. And so, with with um, with Elon. You know, I read this book. Um, we were bonding over this book called "The Structure of Scientific Revolution," and it, and um, and by the other by the, the other thing you get from reading if, um, fiction is not only creativity and imagination, um, but also empathy. Mm. You know, when you when you're identifying with the persons in there, you get to feel what they're feeling. That builds emotional intelligence. Um, so we bonded over Ender's Game and all these great sci-fi books. But then a book we were talking about, "The Structure of Scientific Revolution," and which basically says that all innovation. From every industry, fashion, technology, automotive comes from somebody usually outside the industry because it takes somebody from the outside who didn't grow up with the same limiting beliefs and education as someone traditional mm-hmm. to look in and say, "Why aren't you guys doing it like this?" So that outside perspective I learned from from Elon um, Stanley. Stanley yeah. uh, recently passed, and he was a real superhero in my life. You know, I was there through you know many times, even when he got his Hollywood star of fame. Um, you know, and different moments. The reason why I was, you know, I I taught myself how to read, you know, four years. It took me a long time by reading comic books. Mm-hmm. Something about the superhero journey brought that the illustrations, the story brought it to life, the words to life for me. So he's responsible for teaching me literacy, and for me, Stan represents. I'll give you three things. Um, for me, he represents play, because at ninety five, even like you know, because I was I was with him recently, he. Um, his later years, um, he he was the youngest old person I knew. You know what I mean? And he and that's I think that's so important because a lot of people say they stop playing because they grew older, but it's the opposite. You grow older because you stop playing. Mm. And he was so playful. You know, so play is a huge lesson for me. Number number the second P I would say is passion. He found his passion to his later years. You know, even when most people have retired, he had two passions. Number one, he still went to work. Nine to five, in his in well into his eighties, um, you know, and, and early nineties, because he loves telling stories, mm. you know, because he found his passion, and his other passion was his wife, who was one year older. Yeah. So that, what a role model that is for me. And then finally, the third P is his purpose. He turned his per, his passion of superheroes, and he turned it into a, a, re, a real purpose. Meaning, superheroes. You know what the underlining thing about superheroes is for us? I feel like the lesson is. One person can make a difference. Totally. You know what I mean? With all their flaws. Exactly. With all their mistakes. Exactly. And, and uh, the biggest, the most famous superheroes out there, they had the biggest challenges. Mm-hmm. You know, all, most of our, my favorite superheroes, they were orphans. Spider-Man was orphan. Yeah. Superman was orphan. Wonder Woman's orphan. Batman was orphaned. Batman, yeah. You know, all, um, Iron Man orphaned. You know, they had the, the biggest difficulties, you know. and That's the same thing I love about superheroes. And, yeah. and, and, they, and they really represent hope. Mm-hmm. You know, look to the sky. You know, one person mm-hmm. we could all make a difference, and that's purpose for me. Even I was a big supporter of the Stanley Foundation, and it was all we all we, we did is we brought entertainment. What Stan did is brought entertainment into the classroom mm-hmm. because he knew education by itself is just it's boring. You know, you can't just you lecture to somebody. Kids don't learn just by consuming; they learn through creating. You know, and you talk about this a lot. Education is one thing, but education. If you want real empowerment, you meld education mm. with entertainment. Then you have that empowerment. And Stan was was epic on that. The lessons he Definitely. taught, even back in the '60s, you know, when we lost, you know, Martin Luther King and you know Kennedy and everything, he talked about he talked about uh, bigotry. Like back mm. in the '60s, mm. you know, Stan. So he was a real role model because for me, when we're talking about play, we're talking about passion, we're talking about purpose. It also is about. Um, Making a difference, you know, mm. superheroes. Just having a superpower doesn't make you a superhero. Totally right. Everybody, somebody can have a superhero power, and I'm not talking about superpowers of leaping tall buildings and shooting lasers out of your eyes. We all have our own super um, unique abilities, our unique talents, you know, our unique strengths. But just having those don't make you a superhero. You have to use that, those powers to make a difference. Totally to make the world a better place, and yeah. that's what he did through his his foundation. Yeah. No, absolutely. His work. Big honor to him and. Yeah. His incredible work. And yeah, teaching so many lessons through superheroes, whether yeah. it's comics or movies. I feel exactly the same way. The reason why I love superheroes, super superhero movies and yeah. comics is because I literally look at that and go, they've all got flaws. Mm-hmm. They've had really challenging lives. 
but they're still trying to save the world yeah. and they're working together. Yeah. Right. They they're also collaborate. Together. They work together with all of their flaws and with their different traits. They're not, you know, one superhero is not looking at the other one going, oh, I wish I had uh, lasers coming out my eyes. Right, right, They're right. happy and confident in their own power and right. ability, but at the same time, they can appreciate the need for the other one. Yeah, and that's kind right. of like any kind of relationship, even totally. even in in a marriage or in your team, in your, mm. your organization. You know, they talk about getting the right people on the bus and then getting them in the right seats. Yes, and then we're all driving, you know, through this vision together. But I, I believe that the the greatest thing. I mean, I love books, but I think a single conversation with somebody could go so deep. And so I'm I'm, name, I'm naming famous people like you know like a Richard Branson or a you know because it, the reason why though is is not to drop names is because it creates these mnemonic triggers. Mm-hmm. So when when you see this, like for example with Jim Carrey. Um, you know, I, I help actors um, speed read scripts or memorize their lines better. And we, I remember we were in their kitchen, in his kitchen, we're making guacamole, which is, by the way, great brain food. Avocado is great for your brain. And I asked him, like, you know, um, you know, why do you do what you do? Uh, going back to purpose and mission. And I, he was like, Jim, I act like a complete fool on camera and so extreme because I want to give people watching permission to be themselves. He's like, my my mission is to free people from the concern of other people. Wow. And I really do believe, Jay, that. You know, we could go broke buying into the opinions and expectations of other people. That if we're being energized by people's, you know, fueled by other people's opinions, then we could run out of fuel totally. and gas totally. really, really, really fast. Totally. And I think one of the things that represses our ability to express ourselves at mm-hmm. the highest level is, you know, you know, I spent a lot because I, I lost my grandmother to Alzheimer's, I spent a lot of time in nursing homes still to this day, to senior centers, not teaching them memory tricks, but really showing them, you know, having them share these stories and, you know, so we could polish off their memories. But the biggest regret at that age, you know, when people are passing or, you know, that when they have a limited amount of time is, is their biggest regret is, you know, not living their life. Mm-hmm. I believe, Jay, for people to feel truly fulfilled and happy, they want to have the curiosity to know themselves but then also the courage to be themselves. Mm. You know, the curiosity to know yourself, you reflect, you journal, you meditate, you go through all these personal growth experiences to know who you are. But then once you know more about who you are, you know, being who you are, it, you know, it takes courage, it takes yes. boldness yes. because, you know, you don't want to look bad and you don't want to make a mistake and those are, you know, big challenges people have. And yeah. so um you know, I don't. I don't want people to have that regret because if people are scared about looking bad, I think people should use that fear of saying, "Well, what if? What if you would have done it? It would change your life. Yeah. What if you would have done it? It would have changed the world." Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and we've all been there. Yeah. Moments where, even now, where we stop ourselves. I've got five last big questions yeah. for you. This is it now. So it's these are the questions. What was the last thing that you learned for the first time? You probably get asked that a lot. What was the last? What was the last thing you learned for the first time? Like recently, what did you learn for the first time again? The a learn, oh, yeah, re- yeah, relearn. Yeah, I think one of the most important lessons I've ever learned is that the that I am a hundred percent responsible. Nice for my life. I constantly get that lesson over and over again that I'm not a victim, that I am responsible for everything in my life. You know, and I think that that's that's having that. It really serves people. Awesome. If you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? <laughs> this is a big one, right? Yeah. Um, my, I would love to have the superpower of helping other people unleash their superpowers. Yeah. Uh, that's yeah. I'm, I'm very, I'm very passionate about that. Self, you know, like the ability to superpower to heal other people mm. because we all know somebody is struggling right now. Selfishly, it would be the ability to teleport because you and I travel so much and we've seen each other in so many different countries. So uh, that's you know, true. You know, so teleporting would be nice, but the ability to help other people unleash their superpower. Same. I'm and with you on that. Yeah. I want the same one. Yeah, I, I feel like that's. that's I think the world, yeah. modern day superheroes, the world, you know, the world, people, the best version of ourselves showing up. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine that. Like when you talk about it with team, right? And culture, it's just like, Yes, Captain America's great on his own, Thor's great on his own, yeah. Iron Man's great on their own. But when they come all together in the Avengers or Batman, Superman and Wonder Woman come together in the Justice League, it's yes. a different it's a different story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, this question. Best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received. Or the one you can remember. Right. No, I'm I can sure. remember well, I can remember a lot. Yeah. Um <laughs> I would say going um going back to 
my my story about my original mentor is not to let school get in the way of education. That if you didn't perform well in school, then that's okay. That is not how smart you are. It's it's really how are you smart? Mm-hmm. And everybody has everybody has these gifts. Totally. Uh, worst advice you've ever given someone? The worst advice I've ever given somebody? Oh goodness. Um, I would say this. I would. I would say this. This is my favorite advice to give somebody, but then there's the caveat of the worst advice. So I'd say, know yourself, trust yourself, love yourself, be yourself. But if you're a jerk, be somebody else. <laughs> so don't be that person. So that would be bad right. advice to give somebody who's a jerk. Don't, don't be that person. I like it. Yeah. I like it. And if someone wants to become a better learner right now in their life, what's the number one thing that they can do to start that journey? Yeah, I would say this. Um, Rumi said, sell your cleverness for bewilderment. Mm. You know what I mean? Like I, people do not learn because they feel like they know it all. And we talked about Stan Lee and his age, 95. I believe age is a state of mind, is a state of heart. And if you were, you know, the fastest learners on the planet, they're children. You know, they have the sense of wonder, the sense of bewilderment. They're, they're fascinated. They ask lots of questions. They're not afraid of making mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a child could fall a thousand times to learn how to walk, you know, but sometimes somebody wants to learn how to sing or to dance. They try one or two times and they have this fear of looking bad. Yeah. And I would say trade and sell your cleverness for bewilderment and uh, play a whole lot more. That is beautiful. We'll end on that. That is Jim Quick, everyone. Mind blown. Absolutely mind blowing. It was absolutely incredible, man. That was just such a pleasure and joy to listen to you speak and share your stories. Thank you for sharing so openly as well. I know you really went there. Thank you for that. And thank you to everyone who's listening and watching because, yeah, yeah, I I recommend everyone to listen to this one again and watch it again. Yeah, I I would say in parting words is to listen to this, maybe even take a screenshot of this video or or podcast and and post it and then tag both of us and then share your big aha. If you want to learn faster, the other thing I would say besides being curious and playful is to teach. Oh, tell me When you learn how to, and then you learn with the intention, intention matters. Yes. Like you, when you learn with the intent of teaching somebody else, you're going to learn it faster. Yeah. Because when we share, when we teach something, we get to learn it twice. So I would say if they can, take, if it's appropriate, take a screenshot of it, tag us both, but share your big aha or totally. your big learning. So rewatch it, re-listen to it. And that goes a long way. I believe that our life, I compare it to an egg, that if an egg is broken by an outside force, life ends. But if it's broken by an inside force, then life begins mm-hmm. and all great things begin on the inside. And everyone here, they have greatness inside of them. They have genius inside of them. And I love shows like yours because it helps people to let it out. No, absolutely. And it's, it's exactly what you just said. I remember when I was studying as a monk, my biggest inspiration was also a quote from Einstein who's, who's yeah. standing right there behind yeah. us. <laughs> it, the quote was, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough. Mm. And that's how I would study. I would study saying, how do I simplify this to explain it to someone? Yeah. Because if I can explain it to someone, articulate it to them in the way that they can remember it mm-hmm. and they can remember and apply it in their own life again and again and again, then I'll be able to do it too. Interesting. Uh, if we're not, no, you're living this. Like you're a great example of this, that if we're not unpacking it mm-hmm. in that way, then there's no chance that we can live it. So I love that study to learn. I mean, yeah. study to learn. Yeah. Study to learn. And then when you teach, you learn more too. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we learn, and then we earn, and then mm. we return. Mm. Jim's got it all going on. Uh, I love it. Thank you so much, Jim. I'm so grateful, man. Thank you. That was amazing. Thank you to everyone who's watching and listening. Make sure you share this. Jim, where can everyone find you? Where's the best place? If people want to learn from you, they want to yeah, go from you, where's the, the, the best place? The best place to go deep with me is on, on our podcast. Perfect. It's called Quick Brain. Brain hacks for busy people want to learn faster to eat more. So we do sessions on how to remember names, how to learn languages. And every single episode is only 15, 20 minutes tops. How to read how to read a book a day, how Amazing. to be able to change your habits. And then on social media, I would love to find uh, connect with people there. We do lots of things there at Jim Quick, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. But thank you. Thank you for your thank time. Thank you. Thanks, Jim. Thank you so much.